0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 60 of the Evolve, Achieve, Thrive podcast. And we're delighted to welcome Dr. Cindy Huffington uh, with us, who is a neuroscientist and a child development and parenting expert through her company called Curious Neuron. So, Cindy, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you.
1: you. Thanks very much for having
2: Mm
0: me. (laughs) All the way from uh, Montreal, right?
1: Yes, yes, in Montreal, Canada, hence the French accent. (laughs) Ah, i was
0: wondering, it's
2: amazing.
0: Yeah. You'll, uh, you'll you'll spice up our, uh, you know, standard London accents here.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> My Cockney <me> accent. <laughs> oh, oh nice. yeah. No, I love your accent.
1: No, no. We, <laughs> it's, we have all our accents today. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah for sure. Exactly. Good, good contract. Yeah. But uh, great. No, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, one thing we love to start off with is um, finding out more about our guests. Uh, so understanding your journey through to why why you got into neuroscience, what it did for you, and then where you are right now, like, you know, Child development, parenting. What brought you to that stage?
1: Yeah, I so I originally was working at a hospital uh, here in Montreal. Um, my PhD is in neuroscience, but I specialized in schizophrenia, so mental health. And um, for me, you know, there was just overall, I, as much as I love science, I found I found that. Um, You know, you do all this work in the lab and everything kind of stays there. (laughs) It's not really leaving and we're learning a lot of information and the general public might hear about a few of them that the media catches on to and, you know, it becomes popular, mostly the the food stuff or, you know, like you should eat this or you shouldn't eat that. But when it comes to mental health, it, there wasn't enough information being put out there. And I, I wanted to share it. So at the end of my PhD, um, I, I started volunteering in this um, group that they had at McGill University here called Brain Reach. And it was where neuroscience students would go into the classroom and teach children about the brain. And that quarter, that sort of spiked my, my interest. And I was like, hold on a second, there is a way to do this. And there is a way to bring down science in a way that's still true to to what it is, but that's understandable by everyone. So um, I remember going to see the director of that that volunteering program and I said, this will be my job one day. And she just laughed and she's like, sure, whatever you want. And I made it my job. I ended up making it my job. (laughs) For me, uh, going and also leaving my PhD just about to start my postdoctoral studies, you know, you're, you're in your 30s and I, my husband and I were thinking of a family and I remember speaking to my supervisor and saying, part of me wants to stay home a little bit longer than the usual six months that they will do in research. Is this possible? And he sort of chuckled <laughs> and said, mm-hmm. well, you know, you're going to have to figure out what's important to you, but you're on a good streak as well with your research. And the longer you're out of it, you can't really get back into it. It's well, you you can, but it's not really recommended um and he's like how long do you want to stay seven months eight months you know maybe we can work it out I was like no I I thought maybe like two years (laughs) and he just said well you're gonna have to really put thought into that either family or research you know if, if family's important to you and I didn't really enjoy that moment of having to decide because I loved what I was doing but also the idea of a family and being home with my kids really meant a lot to me too so You know, I played it by ear and I got pregnant during my postdoctoral studies. For my postdoc, I went into education. So for me, what was interesting is all the patients we were seeing um, in the hospital who had schizophrenia were mostly young. So they were mostly teens or early 20s. -hmm. And they were in school, and I kept thinking, what's going on in a child or an adolescent brain when they're trying to learn, but they have all these cognitive deficits and these emotional issues that I'm seeing in the lab, but now they're still going to school every day, or they're trying to anyways. Um, so for me, that led brought me to education. So every time I had a question, it kind of led me to a different place in my life. And then from there, I got pregnant and I just stayed home. (laughs) I decided not to go back and it just felt right. And I missed research. I wanted to, I was still reading articles, (laughs) like a little, like a nerd that I am just at night, (laughs) like what's going on, what's doing in research? (laughs) And then I said, why don't I start summarizing this? Because my background in, in mental health was specifically to emotions and, and towards uh, cognitive skills. and But now I was interested in, in how those were affecting a child and their development. So I started switching a little bit the population I was reading about. And then I realized I could share this information with parents. Why not? You know, So I, I started the blog. Um, and then, within a few months of having the blog up, I, um, I tagged Janet Lansbury, who's like a really popular um, child, uh, the development and, and, and behavior specialist, and she she shared my article, and my blog went from like twenty people a month to like thousands of people a month. <laughs> and wow. then I realized yeah. I had to take this seriously, you know and and, and that's how <laughs> firstron was born. Um, just through summarizing articles, and then people joined me. They were interested in sharing it with me, and that's my mission. My mission is really to take science and bring it to parents because there's just so much science out there that is relatable and important to us and helps us know how to raise our children and how to take care of ourselves. And, And so that's the interesting journey was I only spoke about child development at the beginning, but then as I was following my own journey in parenting I realized that mm. I mattered
0: <laughs> and mm. <laughs> that's when
1: I dug into the research about parent you know mindfulness and parenting and different parenting styles so my own journey has been leading me to different questions and
2: and different types of research so that that's been thrown. <laughs> yeah
0: wonderful. I was
2: gonna ask you Cindy so as you became a parent did it did all your research suddenly kick in or did did it change? Did it did it change you as a parent as well? Or were you just kind of figuring it out as you were going along? Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, So there were things that I knew about the child development and brain development, and I applied that from the beginning. So I would say right. when my first born was like zero to 12 months, all that was like Cindy, the neuroscientist, like, yeah, I got this. Okay, let's go. Tummy time. Let's do this. Cognitive mm. development. Okay, let's have her track stuff. You know <laughs> yeah. uh, Minimize the environment. No screen time. So I followed What I knew as a neuroscientist, but then around one and a half, two, the mom brain kicked in, and then it's when the tantrums start, and then you're like, everything I know doesn't work, (laughs) (laughs) and then you're you're saying to yourself, like, I don't understand what's going on, and then I'm like, why am I mad? She's just crying. Why am I mad? Why am I so mad? And then the whole psychology part of parenting kicked in, and I was like, okay. Something's going on. Like, am I doing this right? And then all the, the thoughts of like, what am I doing wrong? Well, I thought I applied mm. everything. Like, what's going on? And then you yeah. go back into the research and then you, you realize you're normal. Mm. <laughs> you're <a child's laughs> normal. Yeah. <laughs> and you need to work on all those past sort of ideas and all that garbage <laughs> from how you were raised. Because Not everyone, but that was my own personal journey. And I realized mm. that... that I needed to take the time to journal about how I I was parented because I had a lot of strong feelings towards it. And if I didn't, um, you know, I saw a therapist at some point and just working through my own, I developed anxiety because, you know, she was walking and running everywhere and it's like, what's going to happen? Is she going to get hurt? So Mm. I find that there are so many layers to parenting. And for me, Mm. it's not just about, you know, reading the child development research, it's about my health and my own mental health and as a parent. So all of that now, which I understand, I didn't at the beginning, but is parenting. It's it's about, I look at it as three pillars now for Kyrgyz um, First, we need to nurture ourselves as parents. Yeah. Then our child. It's that whole mask, you know, on the airplane scenario. So nurture ourselves. Right. Then mm-hmm. our, I love that. Then each other. If we don't have that sense of community, if we... Continue bashing each other, you know, on social media and criticizing mm. and, and labeling and comparing and all that kind of stuff. I think that that leads to, unfortunately, one of those three. If you don't take care of one of those three, I think it leads to the child's well being um, being affected because you're not well or you're you know, being negative towards people in front of them and, and so on. And so, so we can talk about that for hours. But mm. I really think that as parents, those are the three pillars that we need to focus on.
2: I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree. Do you feel like the birth had an effect on your mental health? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. did you have a good birth or was it? Mine was particularly difficult and it had a huge effect. And I actually probably suffered a little bit from PTSD, that kind of thing. Mm. And I wonder what your birth was like and whether that maybe had a, an effect on how you felt throughout your daughter's, was it your daughter, your your first year and beyond, right?
1: Yeah, for me, it was a little bit different. The first birth was okay. um, And then the second and third had more of an impact. So I have three young kids. And the second um, was a a more difficult delivery. um, And I remember after that delivery, within like a few minutes, looking at my husband saying, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) Knowing that we (laughs) wanted more kids. But I was yeah. like, I'm never, ever, ever, ever doing this again. And then, like, two days later, I was like, it's okay. <laughs> so it was mm-hmm. just a bit of that moment of, of the difficult, but I didn't have like a traumatic birth experience. It was more with my third, I would say, coming home with a newborn when you have a two year old and a three year old. That was a moment for me where anxiety wow. just shot through the roof of what do I do with all these kids <laughs> who are yeah. home with me all day? And I remember moments of like literally hiding in the staircase and calling my husband and saying, I don't think I can do this. I really can't do this. And he's like, breathe, <laughs> you're going to be okay. And you have like the newborn who's crying and wants to be nursed all the time. You have the, the two-year-old who is going through his regular development of like tantrums and and crying and wanting mommy. And then you have the three, almost four-year-old saying, Where's, where's my mom? Like, nobody's playing with me. I'm all by myself. Mm-hmm. So I would say, like, those first six months were really, really the hardest for me in my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that's when I had to kind of step back and say, if I don't take care of this, if I don't take care of the anxiety that I'm having, um, I was always a natural naturally anxious person never diagnosed with anxiety but I I knew I had to work on something because even my husband had noticed a difference in me and you know like a a fork falls on the ground and then you scream (laughs) and it's like that was that's why are you yelling I have no idea I I just I'm I'm just in a a bubble in my mind right now yeah um Mm. but uh yeah (laughs) it's it's you know I I think journey it is a journey. And I think that the most important thing is that we talk about our journeys and we don't shy away from it, whether we're a mom or a dad. And as you know, I am trying to be more mindful of posting about dads um, Mm. because I find that there are so many um, parenting companies or groups or, you know, on Instagram and a lot of the focus is on moms, which yes, I'm a mom. I get it. We give birth and then we were the primary caregivers most of the time, not all the time. Sometimes there are dads, but on average, what about the dads? They're still involved and they also go through postpartum depression. They also experience postpartum anxiety and they'll experience I
2: have no it. no idea. Wow. See, and
1: this was also, I posted about this originally a couple months ago and I was just flooded by emails um, from moms mm. saying, now that I look back, I'm sure that my husband had this or my partner. Mm. And, you know, that saddens me because that means there are so many people or so many fathers that... First of all, it's it's underdiagnosed, it's underscreened in men, and um, it's, you know, if we would talk about it a little bit more, um, maybe there's somebody, whether it's the mom or the dad, somebody will hear about it and, and say, you know what, I think I'm experiencing this. I just had, we just had a baby and I'm fe- I'm, I'm irritable, I'm feeling distant, This I'm not connected, yeah. um, I, I have anger, just like us, like moms. I had a period mm. of that too, where you're just angry and you have no idea why. Um, and and you know um, I I think if a dad hears this and says you know I'm going through it hopefully because then there are barriers there are issues you know partly being gender um gender stereotypes they have to be strong they have to be you know they have to put their emotions down and so there's research all around that that shows like fathers will not talk about it because they should not be experiencing um, these symptoms so they try to cover them and mask them mm-hmm. and. But in the end, the feelings are there. And if you need help, whether it's, it's just talking to somebody a few times, maybe medication, maybe not, maybe you just need to tell your spouse. Um, but it's, it's a huge issue and it needs to be spoken about a lot more.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, well, let's kind of take the Curious Neuron three pillars approach yeah. to this conversation then because that was one of the things we wanted to bring up. So if we're talking about nurturing ourselves, then let's let's start there and start with this because this is one thing I wanted to bring up because as soon as you started posting about it and I started seeing these posts, I realized, yeah, no one has ever talked about this because no, the focus is an emphasis no. as right, like rightly so, the emphasis on making sure the mother is okay yeah. so that she has the environment set up around her so that she can actually start to take care of her child Um, but then there's an element of like um, I think personally one of the things I think and you guys can tell me what you think about this as well is that um, I don't think the father understands exactly what his role is in especially from zero zero to 12 months Mm -hmm. because there's so much um, of the uh so much of like what the child needs is mm-hmm. going to be coming from the mother um yeah. in terms of like feeding time etc etc yeah. and then they're like okay well am i not needed like what's mm-hmm. going on here you know so oh, you're um, very much needed so, <laughs> yeah yeah but well, this yeah. is it so you just yeah. forgetting the role is like okay um in a sense like take a back seat from yourself and be like i'm if i'm here i am important because i need to uh, support my uh, my partner and my child in this in this in this period, but then there's like, you know how do I do that because I feel quite distant because I feel in a sense displaced because here's yeah. a child that's come along, it's been me and my me and my partner this whole time, right. but now i it's almost as if I don't matter so mm-hmm. in your in your view um what what are the misconceptions that we kind of need to clear up about that zero to especially that zero to one um, mm-hmm. phase um for 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 fathers to understand and how they can actually be involved and minimize the uh, the post uh, postpartum depressive symptoms in my uh, my experience.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know if you if, if it's the same for you guys in the UK, but we we get a course, one free course from nurses here in in, in Quebec and Montreal. Um, and I remember that course specifically because it was like, how do you hold a baby? You know, mm-hmm. what are the cues that they're hungry? Sure, all important, but thinking back now as a a seasoned mom of three kids and, 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 you know, going back into the research, um, they never spoke about father, a father's mental health. They never spoke about the father's Mm -hmm. role. They never spoke about communication. They never spoke about how tired I'd be. (laughs) I mean, they said you wouldn't sleep, but they, you know, they, you don't realize that in those moments you're not yourself and that that's going to impact your marriage and that's going to impact you know, your, you, your relationship with your child. So I think mm-hmm. if I were to give a course now thinking, thinking back, and if I were to create some sort of course first, the first thousand days of a child's life, there's so much research around this. So it's literally called the first thousand days. There's, there are websites too, that you could find. And that's from the moment of conception until the child's second birthday. That's a thousand days. And on average, and, you know, depending on when you get birth, but the, oh, no, wait, it's still a thousand days. Forget it. It's <laughs> so a thousand days from conception. to second <laughs> birthday. It's early. I did not talk to you. Those thousand days are when there's the most brain development in the child. So wow. the brain development mm-hmm. has to do with nutrition, but one of the factors that impact that brain development is attachment and attachment does not have to be focused on the mom. Sure, we're going to nurse them, feed them, you know, take care of them, hold them. But when they're sleeping, if they have to nap on you, they can nap on the father. Skin to skin doesn't have to be just the mom. Skin to skin can be the mom and the dad. And what's interesting to me is there are these studies, and one particular study where... They showed um, that a mom's brain will have increased activation after the delivery of the child. It was within the first couple months um, in the amygdala. And the amygdala is the emotions part of the brain. So processing emotions, which makes sense there. You want want to be more tuned and connected. You want to feel so increasing the activation of those emotions connected the mom to the baby. However, here's what's interesting they looked at um, same sex marriages and the partner that was with the baby more had the same increase in the amygdala, as a mm. mother. Now, when they looked, yeah, and then when they looked at the mom and dad, the dad had um, increased activation in social parts of the brain. So there's like a, a, a want to connect in a different way, not the same. Mm-hmm. So we could see the brain differences. However, mm-hmm. when they pulled out fathers specifically from that study that spent more time with their child and just looked at them, they noticed that they had increased activation in the amygdala so what does this say sorry so i'm gonna put my that was my neuroscientist hat and now my mom hat yeah. says dads hold your child
2: <laughs> the yeah. more
1: you hold your child skin you to skin. Are literally, yeah skin to skin while they nap whatever you want you are literally shaping the, your brain or you're changing the way that your brain is responding to that baby um but then again if there's a mental health issue whether it, either in the mom or the dad you're going to feel disconnected, you're not going to feel connected to your child, and that's why it's important to speak, whether you're the mom or the dad, but to speak to each other, to speak to a doctor, tell somebody that you are feeling disconnected, because that mental health issue will lead to you not wanting to hold your child, which will lead to issues in in attachment, Um, and and issues in attachment lead to problems in social emotional skills, and, and so on, so Going back to those first months or, you know, the first thousand days, a father has a huge role. He's building an attachment the same way that a mother is building the attachment. Um, and the more you you spend time with your newborn, even if they're two days old, whenever the mom is in nursing, you could spend that t- time with your child. And I, I don't know how it is for paternity for you guys, but here, you know, they can get two, three weeks in in Canada. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not much, but like. if you can take it at even at, you know, a lot of dads I've heard, you know, in my environment say that, you know, yeah, but why take the first two three weeks? They take them when the child's almost one, and then they go on vacation. But it's not about that. You could right. take it at the beginning. You do have a role. And I'm pretty sure the mom will be happy if she can take a little nap or shower <laughs> while you're holding the kid up when you're born. <laughs> Right?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Hours. Yeah. I took showers for granted before having kids. <laughs> yeah. Always. Everything for granted. Yeah. Going Yeah. Sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Eating. Yeah. It's like exactly. The, the smallest eggs. Isn't it? Yeah. You but, wouldn't even realize. So dads do have a very big role. And, and even as the child ages, even past these few months, um, there's, there are studies that show that a dad takes more risk with their child and and that risky play leads to um, a child being more confident and more resilient and taking risks themselves, not just yes. physical risks, but risks in life. Um, and, you know, there's, that's, there's such an important role in a dad.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And then, and then understanding that, and then spending that time as well is that something that essentially lowers the chances of a dad feeling alienated and also developing those kinds of depressive uh, symptoms as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because the so there were three risks. Um, to a, There are a few risks, but there was a study that showed the three biggest risks. One of them is having a history of depression, which increases your risk of postpartum, um, and that's in the mom or the dad. And then the second one was um, when a spouse has postpartum depression and um, so if if the mom is experiencing postpartum depression there's a higher chance of the father also experiencing postpartum really? depression there, and it goes back to what you were saying about the alienation be feeling distant not feeling connected because the father is going through all these hormonal changes as well and then all of a sudden it's like you're not connecting with your partner you're not connecting with your baby maybe the partner is not allowing you to hold your baby and saying i need to do it you have no who knows what's happening in the home but and the third risk was marital conflict so if you're going into this phase of your life that is extremely stressful mm. and you don't have a strong foundation it's going to rock you right it's 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 mm. going to move <laughs> make a big change in your relationship mm. so you know thinking back to before having the child you should be taking care of yourself and trying to take care of your marriage and and nurturing that so that when the baby comes, everybody's at their best (laughs) as much as possible. Right. It's, it's not easy. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, and, and then kind of, you touched on it there with, with hormones as well. I think that can be an element which can help explain the kind of changes that we go through. Um, I say we, um, I'm coming at Mm -hmm. it from a different different angle because I'm not a parent yet. So (laughs) I've, I've just got like a huge interest in this, in this, in this field, because just development (laughs) to me is just incredibly interesting. Mm. And, um, and so so i've got a yeah got a different perspective and like you know you two are at different stages of parenthood as well which is which is uh, which, which is called cool little balance here but um, <laughs> but that 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 aspect of it is um is interesting as well which i think can help people understand like you know why they might feel the way that they feel during um like basically uh, during during parenthood mm. so we know like uh we spoke with dr sarah mckay um last week on the podcast and she's done a lot of work uh, with her book on uh, es- essentially providing a rundown for the layperson on you know what's happening in the female brain uh through the life cycle and like you know a big part of it is during pregnancy your brain is literally getting reshaped and rewired yep. to um to ex uh to become a mother essentially mm-hmm. and um and then just, there was a curiosity there about okay like, what's happening with fathers as well so obviously they don't ha- then there is no gestation going on in a father mm-hmm. but um, i understand there are some changes that are happening on some level once they find out that they're going to be the father of a child and then when the baby comes along and there's actual like physical changes going on uh, physiologically as well uh, are you able to touch on those
1: yeah. So there's actually there's a syndrome. They call it a syndrome. I don't know why, because it makes mm. it sound bad, but it's, it's <laughs> called Kuvad syndrome. And um, basically, that's when a father experiences um, the same symptoms as a mother, who's as a, his wife who's pregnant. Um, and so wow. I, even, even when I posted about that, I got some good feedback of like, yeah, my husband gained weight for no reason. <laughs> or, or yeah, he, he was pretty hormonal too. <laughs> and And so and they don't understand why it happens. They think that part of it is. A deep sense of empathy towards the partner that you're with. They've looked at different countries, and there are like Jordan. In, in Jordan, apparently, there like you have a, a, a very intense need to start a family, and the husband has a huge level of empathy towards the the, the spouse, and they have some of the highest levels of of Kuwait syndrome because mm. they, they're experiencing all the symptoms in <laughs> the same way as mm. the mom. Um, so yeah. I think that even before uh, the mother is giving birth. Um, there are lots of changes. I have a blog post on my website about that. We, we summarize a study that looked at biological changes, physical changes, social, social, um, social changes in a dad. Um, you know, you're probably connecting with people who are talking about parenting a little bit more without even realizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that as a mom for me too, like, as I, had my first child and my second you kind of gravitate towards um friends who parent the same way as you i don't know if you Mm experienced it and and you kind of distance yourself a little bit more from those who don't agree with what you're saying not not don't agree but overall not just one disagreement but the big picture of it yeah Yeah. and and fathers experience the same thing so it's 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 important Mm -hmm. that we keep talking about that because even during pregnancy fathers have changes physiological changes and and physical changes
0: (laughs) yeah that's fascinating I mean like (laughs) yeah yeah, it's like all, all my friends are basically it's like you know what better way of preparing a conversation with you was like prior to this a couple I spent a couple hours with my friends who are now parents with little one-year-olds oh, nice. and uh, yeah. you know I was like trying to provide entertainment so it was uh, uh, so it's like you know I feel like I'm getting pulled Idea. into that now as well yeah. it's like I'm like everybody's parent around me now so I totally I totally That's feel right. what you're saying yeah. as well which yeah. is really interesting so it's also cool to really observe their behavior <laughs> but like one, one thing that was hilarious today was um, um so um, one, of the, uh, one of the mothers just said to me, oh, you know, she really likes it when people do squat jumps and burpees, because and, I'm a trainer as well. And I was like, oh, great, you, just, you, try to, you try to get me to just play with her for the next like, yeah. 20 minutes better than anyone else, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, it, was a lot of, it was actually a lot of fun. I got my workout done for the morning. I'm done, yeah. you know, I'm good for the day. But, um, but it's, it's, it's um, yeah, I kind of feel that as well, you know, that sense of uh, people around me have just had their children, and it's like, oh, there's something to that, you know? And um, I was speaking to them about, uh, yeah how has it been because they're all one years old and um, and we were also talking about um, something that we, uh, you've posted a while back as well which was um, I think I think you posted about it as well which is like mothers who regret having having kids and, and um, should, yeah. Yeah, yeah so what we were talking about I was like I asked like how would you sum up this first year with your kid and they're like it's the best year of my life like it like sure there's ups and downs is ridiculously hard but yeah. I'm like hugely empathetic um, I my friend was saying, "I thought I was a good manager at work before having a kid, and then <laughs> I realized after having a kid, I was a terrible manager. I didn't care about where anybody was, you know." And uh, what he, he he's saying, yeah, just changed how I managed people and yeah. how I related to them. And yeah. uh, but then we also got into the topic of people who like regretted having yeah. having their children as well. They're not yeah. in that in that category, but um, but that's another thing that is worth mentioning is um, like. V- the effect that having a child can have on someone. And like in in your experience, what do you think are kind of bringing on those types of feelings and do they ever recover from that?
1: That's that's hard, you know, because I, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that I get to speak to so many parents every week. I get lots of messages and DMs from parents and mm-hmm. I can have these conversations and kind of see, because they don't know me and they, it's just like on social media, they're able to open up a little bit and some have opened up on, regretting to have the first child at that moment or regretting having a second or third child because they didn't feel ready. And there was a pressure, pressure from either a partner or pressure from the family um, sometimes. Mm. And I, 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 I am, I, I sympathize, you know, because it's, it's hard and I, I I get that, Um, you know, it comes back to that first pillar of ourselves and and nurturing ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, Having that communication with your partner, if you're not ready, a lot of it has to do with what parents have been telling me is the mental health part. If you already are experiencing depression or anxiety, or don't feel that you're mentally prepared to have a child, it's it's hard to end up having one, you know, or it, it happened, you, it wasn't planned, um, because then your own mental health is just thrown off even more after mm-hmm. having a child. Um, I, I I wish I had advice for that, but it's just something that. It saddens me because the child, in the end, their well-being will suffer because you weren't ready for it. There might, you know, some of the symptoms of, of depression in a man or a woman are... Um, feelings of regret and and you know wishing that you didn't have that resentment towards your child, mm-hmm. um, and and that's hard to work through you know as as a parent and the guilt comes in and sometimes you don't even realize that you're feeling that resentment towards your child because of your mental health, so the guilt kicks in and then the anger kicks in and then so it's it's this endless cycle of of everything that will not help the child. Um, mm-hmm. But if you are in that situation and you do feel resentment towards your child, my best advice is, is really to speak to somebody. Um, mm-hmm. doesn't have, if you're not comfortable mm-hmm. speaking to your spouse about it, please like just speak to some therapist or psychologist or um, anybody that you trust that you just want to have this conversation with because sometimes just by opening up um, and finally saying it out loud... You know, because it sometimes becomes those demons in your mind and and you're, you know, and even somebody who's going through postpartum depression, you might have thoughts, whether it's a father or mother, thoughts of harming yourself or thoughts of harming your child. Mm -hmm. But saying it out loud to somebody then kind of makes it more concrete. And then you're like, okay, I need I need help or that person might help you get help. Um, So it's important to talk about it.
0: Mm, where
2: would you say to to go for that help like say there was a mother listening to this where what resources for example could Mm. they i mean obviously they've got curious neuron on instagram but is there any way that you could point them to because i know many mothers that struggled with anxiety and depression and it was it feels a little bit limited well way back when my son's 11 now and i have a lot of friends that have children at the same age and it just felt really limited yeah. Uh, the resources that we had at that time and if we could point people to somewhere your resource other resources yeah. that would be really useful that would be great because um we all really struggle with anxiety and the relentlessness yeah. that is having a child just day to day of just there is no end to this and I think that's what yeah. a lot of women have is their yeah. that's their there's just it just feels like there's no end in sight. This yeah. is what I'm doing day in day out and I can't see an end. And it's like are there any good resources that you could point us to? Obviously yours as well.
1: Yeah, but, but um, there is
2: there's a, an international postpartum helpline.
1: Um it's a free mm. number that anybody can call and um I could give you the link if you'd like to add it um because I think mm. it's important. And on my website mm. i I, i'm working on a page so there's the three pillars that you can click on and the nurture yourself i'm working on adding all those resources um to that part of the because because of exactly what you mentioned you know sometimes Mm. the the something i i do on social media is is this weekend thing where i say you're not alone and then you 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 ask the group you ask the community am i the only one that and then you post whatever it is Mm. and it's it's it was interesting because I I just put it out there a few months ago for fun and the there was a lot of good feedback about it because mm. a lot of moms or dads feel that they're all they're alone in these thoughts they're alone they're the only ones that have mm. ha- experienced this yep. and then one silly thing as, such as it might sound silly to you but saying like am I the only one that gets angry when my child cries you know something will. And then you see like 87% say you're not the only one. They click on it. Mm. And then I'll get a response saying, I thought, you know, I felt so bad that I was mad or that I I had these feelings of like my child, like they, they, they annoy me sometimes. And (laughs) my response is you are not alone. We experience all the same things. So it comes back to what I was saying before of just putting it Mm. out there, just saying it, expressing Mm. it. And then you realize you're not alone. And that there's, there's a study that talks about like mindfulness in a parent. And mm. the first one, one of the, one of the, I think, hold on, I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget, but it talks about one, two, three, yeah, five, five pillars of mindfulness. And one of them is compassion, self-compassion, mm. and compassion towards
2: your child. So hard when you're a mother, Isn't though, it? Exactly. Know?
1: It is. And even before so having hard. kids, do we have self-compassion? And it just mm. gets worse after having mm. kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that part mm. of mindfulness is part of the nurturing yourself. So if you feel that, you are not yourself or there's no end to the anxiety or there's no end to the depression. Mm. You know, you're not just going, it, it, mindfulness is thrown out as if like it, by tomorrow I'll be mindful when I wake up, yeah. I'll be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's So much work, you know, here. So they talk about listening with full intention. That's part of being a mindful parent. Um, Not easy if you're thinking about work, if you're thinking about paying bills, if you're thinking about a baby who's crying, if you're thinking about wishing Mm. you would sleep. It's not easy to listen Mm. with intention. Um, Non-judgmental acceptance of self and child. That is a Mm. hard one. As easy as it sounds, that won't disappear tomorrow. And, and, you know, Mm. that non-judgmental, I tell parents, I had read in a study once, and there was a it was one of those studies where you read a line and then just sit with it. And then you just wait. And then, and then the tears come because you're like, this is so Mm. powerful, but it said your thoughts are not a fact or your thoughts are not a reality. Mm. And you know, when you're in a moment, whether or not you have a child, but you're in this moment and you're like, that was so dumb. Or why did I do that? Or why? Or Mm. whatever it is. But you thinking that you did that you are dumb or stupid or worthless or not enough doesn't mean that that's a fact. You are enough. You are not those thoughts. Um, so, but we tend to make them facts. We tend to mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm, I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good dad. But that doesn't make it a fact because I'm sure your child is running up to you into your arms and, and asking you to play with them. Like, you know, so that sort of thing. So that, see how just these two points <laughs> in mindfulness mm-hmm. are like months and months of work. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. show up. And then self-regulation, regulating our, it sounds easy. You know, I'm able to do with adults, but with a child, something triggers you. There's something off. And that's when it goes back to what I said before about being, um, I guess, connecting with how you were parented, because it might not be the problem, but it might be something that happened in your past. But if you did not develop a strong attachment with your family, with your parents or your mom, then your your relationships are a bit different you're you might be yelling more you might get angry mm. more quickly with your
2: mm.
1: child action to how you were parented and and some thoughts that you them so that's another part of them and then there's emotional awareness of the child that is huge and that's mm. being attuned to them huge. and emotional yeah. awareness to the child and to yourself you know when we feel an emotion we easily push it push it away like i'm I'm feeling uh, restless today or I'm feeling anxious today or I'm, I'm, I'm super sad, I don't know why, but like, let me just like let it out, let me go for a run and it'll be gone. And then you come back and you're like, ah, oh, it's still there.
0: <laughs> or, yeah. or
1: maybe it's gone, but it's okay to sit with an emotion, but where I or, or some were taught, you know, like just brush it off, like walk it off, you're angry, you're mad, you're mm-hmm. sad, it doesn't matter, just let's get back to happy and walk around, let it out and that's it, the emotion is gone. Mm-hmm. But we don't sit with it we don't sit with that un- that uncomfortableness of i am really upset right now or, i'm so sad i just need to cry and and just saying that it-, it makes a huge difference but again we're like on three or four points of mindfulness mm-hmm. and we're looking at what a year now of work <laughs> a year and a half yeah it- it's a yeah. lot of work it's a lot of work and that's why i and then there's compassion so i i that's why i wish that before somebody becomes a parent that they work on these factors because then mm. you come into it strong rather than having a two-year-old. And then all of these issues come up and you realize, oh, I really need to work on myself and don't ignore yeah. it. Um, it's mm. never too late to work on yourself. It's never too late. So some parents will say, you know, I have an older child and and I didn't create an attachment with them. I was going mm. through something after I gave birth and I had either postpartum depression or I just wasn't feeling it. I, I wasn't into it. I was stressed because of whatever My child is 10 now. Is it too late to build that attachment? My response to them is, Mm. as my 37-year-old self, um, I don't think I would not accept a sorry from a mom or dad. I don't think Mm. that there wouldn't be that sort of melting (laughs) of like, Mm. I just wanted you to apologize for all these years, you know, like regardless of our age. So if your child is 10 and you're listening to this, it's not too late. Start building that attachment. Start being attuned to them. And there's a book called The Power of Showing Up that I love because it really summarizes research very well in terms of attachment. And they say they, they bring it down to four S's. A child, and I, I would argue anybody, <laughs> needs to feel seen, needs to feel soothed by their, their caregiver, needs to feel safe. And once they feel those three, then they are secure. And, mm-hmm. you know, back to being an adult, uh, even in a relationship, if my partner sees me, if I feel safe with them and I feel soothed by them, yeah, we've built a strong relationship. So it doesn't matter how old your child is, it's never too late. Yeah, That was
0: lovely. Yeah, I left love yeah. that. There's such, such a good breakdown as well, because I mean, from what both of you are saying, to me is just like, how difficult parenting is and all the intricacies is like the best kept secret in the world (laughs) until (laughs) you become a parent you just you become a parent you start thinking to yourself yeah why did no one tell me this you know how did that happen (laughs) because they can't
2: you have to find out for yourself i think you know yeah yeah but
0: it's it's, but it's almost yeah but it's almost like no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let you figure it no, out when no, you get no. there. <laughs> yeah. So which is which is a crazy thing so, again, you know, it's like this is why I'm getting myself ready for this kind of okay. thing as well because eventually I'm going to become a parent, and um, so yeah, I'm super stoked to be talking to talking to both of you about this kind of thing. But um, it is it's, that's what it feels like, and and so the the kind of. Kind of things you just touched on there as well goes to like one of the things that Jude wanted to talk about as well, which is like mm-hmm. how, you know how can parents build their own confidence and uh, so that they can take themselves, take care of themselves, protect themselves, so, and also so that they can be there for their kids as best mm-hmm. as possible. But I think you basically answered that question, already. You know, it's <laughs> like that's that's one of the best ways of doing it is just become mindful with those five strategies in place and think about mm-hmm. those four S's.
1: Yeah, it it really is, and I, I think. That I think you're right in the sense that we we don't tell parents this, but mm-hmm. not all parents know this part of it, right? So everything I'm telling you is something I nice. have pulled out of research, and that mm-hmm. goes back to my original goal with Curious Neuron. Why why aren't we told this? Why aren't there courses that prepare us for this? You know, there should be so much mm-hmm. more, and and part of my goal is is to start working with. Um, you know, OBGYN clinics and, and, and birth, birthing centers here and locally. Mm. And hopefully one day it'll, it'll mm. blow up. I don't know. I hope, but there needs to be yeah. this, you need to leave the hospital with a list of, of mm. taking care of yourself, it, your child's development. It, it'll, it'll come, you know, like there, there's, yes, anytime time. We talk about that. Fine. Toys, play, free play. We can get into that. But in the end, the parent is the one who's there with the child and you know, when I was for Father's Day for that entire week I posted about dads. One interestingly enough, it was the week where my posts were shared the least. Just want to put it out
2: there. Really? <laughs>
1: really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I it's something that has bothered it wasn't me. Wow. I, I I was I was blown away because I thought there'd be a lot more sharing to try to get fathers wherever they are on mm. Instagram. <laughs> there there there's mm. like only four point nine percent that follow me or whatever, but it's you know, I know they're out there and I, I was hoping that moms would share this with them. And I got moms reaching out to me saying, I see these symptoms in my husband, but then they weren't sharing it. So that was the first mm. thing. But then um, mm. what was, I forget what my second point was, but anyways, that, that week um, to me was really important because we needed to get the word out, you know, and fathers, mm. a few fathers reached out to me and said that they wished that when um, you go to see your, your pediatrician and there's uh, uh, the, they're asking questions about your child's development, you know, are they, are they following uh, with their eyes? Are they, you know, crying? Are they nursing enough or feeding enough? Um, Sometimes some pediatricians will say, will ask the mom, how are you doing? And then they'll, they'll go through a screening. And then the the way the father explained this to me, is like I was sitting right beside and I was able to see those symptoms in myself, but nobody asked me, Um, you know, and he's in the office. And then another father said that the, the mother what they the doctor asked the mom the questions directed the questions towards the mother never even acknowledged that the father was in the office Um, and who was there who was also very hands-on you know coming to the appointment and and hands-on as a father and was never asked a question about their child and was never asked like how are you doing um so that needs to change That needs to uh, Yeah, we need to have more when it comes to parenting and taking care of ourselves. We need to have more doctors um, asking how we are. There was a mom who, who reached out to me and said, um that she went to see a chiropractor for x reasons after giving birth and Mm. um she had been to several appointments with her baby and you know nobody had asked her how she was doing and then the chiropractor said like oh you've had a baby you know five six months ago how are you feeling and she just broke down because nobody had ever asked her how she was feeling Mm. family members were coming over let me see the baby let me hold the baby i want to see the and 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 then yeah. yeah and that's another part you know like it's for for us after i had my firstborn. um we asked for 2 weeks we you know everybody saw the baby the first 2 days and then it was 2 weeks of it's it's my husband and I with the baby let us adapt to this new life and i have zero regrets for doing that um family right. might say otherwise but <laughs> for me it was let me you know i need to bond with my child and we 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 enjoyed that time so much we weren't able to do it with the other ones it was a bit busier and and but that was the best time, and we need to set our boundaries as parents. When we talk about mental health and we talk about parenting, I think, um, so I have this ebook called Better Me, Better Parent, because I I truly believe that you first have to work on yourself, and part of that is understanding that we need boundaries. We need boundaries Mm -hmm. as a spouse, a partner. We need boundaries as a daughter, as, you know, a a daughter-in-law, as a mom, as me, Cindy. (laughs) I just, you need boundaries, and um, it could be with your child, too, as they they get older and, you know, that phase of, like, mommy, 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 mommy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, hold on a second. <laughs> uh, you know, it, whether it's a coffee for five minutes, whether it's going outside to take a deep breath, w- whether it's going to the bathroom, you could have boundaries. And some parents or moms have told me that they feel guilt um, for having boundaries. Mm-hmm. Or their par- their partner sometimes makes them feel guilty for saying, mm-hmm. I need to go out tonight. Um, I need mm-hmm. to be away from the kids. And that's hard. For me, mm. the biggest part of being home with my kids, the biggest struggle, was a sense of loneliness. I don't know if, if you experienced mm. it as well, but yeah, just I did. You're you're not alone yeah. in your house, but you're alone. In you your, are alone. You're alone. Yeah. You're still alone. Yeah. And even when I had all three kids, like you know that there's that need to just have a conversation with an adult. Mm. There's that need um, to just kind of be away from them for a few minutes to breathe, just to. And, mm. and sometimes we have guilt around that, especially with new parents. It's like I should be with my child and, hey, I, I did it with my firstborn. you know, I, I was with her all the time. And I it's not that I regret that, but I forgot about myself along the way. I, I only now have been very verbal on, on social media mm-hmm. that this past year, I would say around, just around November of, of 2020, I realized that after having my kids, I completely forgot about myself. I forgot that how much I enjoyed reading books. I forgot how mm-hmm. much I enjoyed taking walks. And it's something so small, but it shows you that you care about yourself. You know, like it shows mm-hmm. you that compassion that like I deserve it and, and I have boundaries. I need mm-hmm. to breathe sometimes. So there's such there's so much when it comes to parenting mm-hmm. um, that we don't talk about, that we don't hear about that. Like you said, we kind of hide it. <laughs> Not that we mm-hmm. hide it, but like a parent will say, you'll ask a parent, how are you? I'm fine. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. It changes you. It's the best thing ever. And it, it <laughs> yeah. is. It is, but who's gonna say like I'm having a really crappy day today? You know, like who's gonna say like I'm not mentally well? You know, and I've mm. I've started using that sentence even just with my husband mm. um, for the past year now. It's like, how are you today? I don't know, but I, I'm not mentally well. And when I say that, it's like he's able to check me a little bit more. And there could be a day where I yelled for absolutely no reason, and he's like, Yeah, go for your walk or go outside, go step, take do whatever you outside. need, take those five minutes. Mm. And everybody needs that, but we don't. I, I know that I'm lucky and I know that, you know, from the conversations I've had with parents, um, there's a lot of guilt around that. And it's it's not easy. It's it's definitely yeah. a hard journey.
2: I was going to ask you, Cindy, do you think because our parents' generation, it was like, you just get on with it, right? Yeah. And as parents, we don't talk about how hard it is. We just get on with it. And it is a lonely role. And often mothers were in that role and only mothers were in that role, right? And yeah. And it's almost like, we're kind of modeling our parenting in a way on what our parents did and and it was that very much Mm -hmm. like stoic let's just get on with it let's not talk about our mental health right yeah Yeah. and i think i always had that it's like oh we're fine everything's fine and and it's actually i think that needs to change and people like you are going to change that for people because (laughs) it's true though because i feel like we need to talk about it because That It's that intergenerational of you see how your parents parent, so that's how you're going to get parented or you're going to parent and then that's going to pass down. Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the line, we need to change that. And like you say, create some self-care. And, and actually, it does start with you. And I was very much of that parent of everything's fine. I don't need any time off. But I was yes. so lonely yeah. and so mm-hmm. anxious. And I felt like if I just had a bit more communication and help i think that mm-hmm. would have been amazing so those you know your resource is going to be amazing for a lot of parents i think um, yeah
1: and i think your journey is very similar to so many parents yeah. you know and it's the more we talk about it the more we feel that we're not alone and then we're able to open up a little bit more so if yeah. i can say that i'm not mentally well today and hopefully somebody else will say it and that will save them that day you know like just saying mm. it out loud you'll you'll check in on yourself too right you'll know okay if you're attuned to yourself if you're compassionate with yourself then you'll say, I need to step away. And even if you're with your kids, step away might mean, when I talk about self-care, I say that there are two ways to do it. So adding something to your life, but also removing. So Mm. self-care could mean um, I'm stuck home with my three kids all day. Sure. Okay. How do I get a break? Put them in the bathtub. (laughs) Or let's go (laughs) for a walk together, you know, like, Yeah, lollipops or popsicles in the bathtub, anything that you know will keep them busy. If it's screen time, a lot of parents will talk about screen time with me and say, like, am I allowed? Is it okay? Is it bad for them? Their brain will not melt. That's the first thing. (laughs) (laughs) However, I always say just to be mindful that the the TV or the screen doesn't become the other caretaker, you know, the caregiver, Mm -hmm. you want to use it for entertainment and, and solely that purpose. Um, but if you're having a really bad day, uh, you know, I think back to when I was pregnant with my third, I was, my kids were very young, so there was no screen time in the house, but I was very sick. Um, and I was home with, a a one and a three year old and, and just like basically living in the bathroom and they would just sit on the stairs (laughs) and watching me. And I was like, just go Mm. away. It was so (laughs) But I remember, if it, I, I think back again, saying that this whole self-care thing, if I would have just said, like, it's okay, just I need to put them in front of the TV, like, and give myself that grace. And, but I was so strict on certain things, and I regret that part of it because it would have made life a little bit <laughs> easier for me, and their brain would not have, like, been affected by it, you know. So we put, we're really strict on ourselves as parents. We, we hear about, the, and that's another thing, you know, when it comes to parenting resources. And I try to be aware of that because we're being told, what to do by 1 million people, (laughs) whether it's family members. I had advice from a random stranger once at a mall, at the store, you know, it's like your baby's in the carrier and they're like, Oh, you should this blanket's kind of thick. And I was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) just leave me alone. (laughs) Like your baby's two weeks old and you're already, like you're going for a walk for your own mental health. And then this grandmother tells you, (laughs) you know, and, and even within family with, with, with good intention, obviously, but you know, don't hold your baby too. Too much they need to be independent they need to to learn that you're not always there for them and my porch this child is two weeks old you know let me let me bond with my mm-hmm. child so we, we're gonna get advice from every single person and, and what yeah. I try to do is talk about what I read as a parent and not direct it as you should do this or you should do that because what works for me might not work for your family so you know okay. like parenting styles for instance parenting styles according to research there's authoritarian which is like the kind of parent the way that i was brought up you know i am the parent you do what i say and there's no connection there's no sensitivity there's no um not no love it's not that there isn't love but there isn't that sort of empathy and, and, and sensitivity towards your child um versus authoritative parenting which is A balance between those strict rules and boundaries and that sensitivity or connection that is the kind of parenting that leads to a child that is socially uh, and uh, socially and emotionally intelligent that is able to connect and build strong relationships that is cognitively even stronger um, because of that kind of um, parenting style within the home Um, and and when i say that i just i try to say it as like this is what research says but then you could do what you want if you're not comfortable with it i can't i can't tell you how to raise your child but you know read about what you read about parenting and educate yourself that's clearly what my goal is to educate parents some parents might not like you know certain things that i post about like i'll post sometimes i'll get a bit of like feedback or like lashback if i post like the research about something because they did it the opposite way for example you know like hmm. a, there was a post about like the distance between two kids and the study showed that the, the closer in age they are, the, the more they struggled later on. And it was only because, and I put myself in that, I, my kids were close together. Um, but it's because you have no time to really give them that attention. And, and you're in a state that's probably not, um, like that's probably stressed out and, and, and different. So I get that, I get that research, but sometimes when I post those things, it's like, well, what about me? You know, my kids are 18 months apart. Well, that's okay. It's it's just the studies. It's, you know, we can't change that. I won't change the difference in the age between my kids, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just about reading and educating yourself and learning how to do it. And then applying what works best for you as a parent Absolutely. Um, and, and back going back to that self-care, if social media and what you're reading or somebody in particular is, is not adding that good part to your life or that goodness, then that part of self-care is is stepping back a little bit from that person or, taking less time on social media if you're comparing yourself to other parents and you think that all those activities that you see on social media of building this most beautiful hummingbird through paper and and, and glue that and you're like but I can't build a hummingbird it's okay <laughs> I, I cut squares of paper and I put them in a serving tray and I give my kids like googly eyes and and crayons and stickers and that's as good as it gets for arts activities because I cannot do anything. I can't even draw a stick, a stick figure. <laughs> you know? And it's easy to feel guilty about that. But if yeah. you're seeing all these pictures and, and feeling guilt about that, close it, turn it off. Self-care is, is not worrying about what's happening away from those walls, uh, with, with, which is your home, and, and focus on you and your child.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful, and like I think, you know, that's, right. a, that's kind of a good, good place, to like bridge between parents, self-nurture, and then uh, taking care of, taking care of the children as well. Because one of the things I'm quite curious about is, uh, in your experience, the things you've seen um common things that you've observed parents do which are potentially actually negative negatively impacting their ch- their child's development but mm-hmm. they don't necessarily know it because of things like you know generational parenting styles yeah. and it's just like you know I'm surrounded by this kind of thing what uh, what stands out to you in that and what uh, what could be the what could be the fix for that kind of thing
1: mm, two things for the first one for me is everything we spoke about today, taking care of yourself and, and making sure that you're okay. I think parents kind of neglect that, neglect themselves and think that if you're putting everything into your child, then you're going to raise them properly, but you might not be connecting with them the way that you, that you should or being attuned to them. So... First, it's it's completely neglecting yourself. I, I think is mm-hmm. the first thing. Then the second thing that I see when, once a child becomes a toddler, it's it's something that's bothered me for quite a few years. The language around our children, the language mm-hmm. around how we label them and a pest and a brat and a, mm-hmm. well, I won't say the other ones because they're like quite. <laughs> yeah,
2: I've yeah. never
1: sat well with that. I no, really I, yeah. I, it, that it mm-hmm. really really bothers me. You know, like for me as a person. Um, you know, especially being on social media, you get like some m- messages that aren't really kind. And my way of navigating the world around me is through curiosity and compassion. And I would mm-hmm. expect a parent to do the same with their child. Um, I would do it with you guys. If you told me off about something, I'd be curious about it first. Like, why do you feel mm-hmm. that way? Or, You know, and then and what's interesting is a lot of times when I approach an email that way, from a parent who's angry because of a post, they'll say like, oh, you were kind of nice to me. I thought you would swear at me and be mean <laughs> to me. And, and and then they'll step back and say, I'm so sorry about how I approached the situation. I should have done it a bit differently. And there's the compassion, you know? And then and then mm. I have the compassion towards them because maybe they had a bad day or maybe I don't know the situation that they're in. Mm. Um, but always, so same thing applies with your child. Your child is having tantrums. Yeah. They're not being, a child does not want int- to intentionally be a bad kid. <laughs> There's, there's no such thing. A child is born the most beautiful, loving creature, <laughs> human being. And, mm-hmm. and then through the environment, we maintain that. And, you know, if if your child is acting out a lot and their behavior is is not what you want it to be, then look at the foundation of it. Let's look at uh, let's look at it through curiosity. You know, what changed in their environment? Am I parenting in a way that I'm harsh with them? Am I yelling at them and telling them not to yell back at me? Am I using words towards my partner mm-hmm. in the house and a, a certain aggressiveness and noticing aggression in my child? You know, like so, being curious about the environment and being curious about our child can help us help. Our child <laughs> it'll give us the information mm-hmm. that we need and and being compassionate towards them but yeah that's another that that would be my second one because mm-hmm. i've just seen so many parents like hate on their child hate on their partners too you know it's it's i don't know i just mm-hmm. i've never been that kind of person i i grew up in a family where my parents i never even saw them connect i don't even think i ever Mm. saw them hug you know it's it was a marriage that was doomed from the beginning (laughs) um one spoke english one spoke french (laughs) Mm. and it's it's it's
2: um it
1: it was a very difficult marriage and um you know I, i don't want kids to be in that sort of environment that's why if you take care of yourself and you take care of each other you know the environment is very different for a child and the environment is everything sure there's dna the, their, genet, their genetics, but then the environment kind of kicks in and you want them to to be in a sort of loving environment and to see how to treat others. With with COVID, a lot of parents would email me and say, how will my child develop social emotional skills if they're stuck at home for so long? And my response to that for children who are five and under mostly is you are their social emotional skills. You are the one as a parent, um, whether you're alone in the home or you have a partner you're showing them how to speak to others. You're showing them how to treat others um, and to treat yeah. them. And if you're calling them a pest and a brat all day, um, what is that teaching them? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just I, I really struggle with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. It's I like really actually, it's like it's, it as it's, well.
0: mm, mm. it's it's great that you mentioned that as well because that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently as well. It's just just as human beings, but generally, especially to a child, because at that developmental yeah. stage, there's they they're soaking everything up. So if yeah. you tell them you are a brat, or you tell them you are good, or you yeah. are bad, or it, it can even be like labeling them something positive, yeah. is um, is actually counter uh, counterproductive to yeah. how they turn out later in life as well because um, you. You're, you're labeling the person. So if there's a deviation from that, it's it's the idea that something has gone wrong with them.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: really, it's about pointing out behaviours mm-hmm. and trying to encourage or discourage certain kind of behaviours, so that the person and the individual, the little child, the tiny human being, mm-hmm. starts to grow into the respective, uh, like more respectable behaviours, as opposed to um, and kind of being um, encouraged for that, rather than um labeled for it and it sounds like it gets nitpicky but it's i think it's really not i think it's yeah. uh, from from my experience is just my experience is just from just dealing with, dealing with people yeah. yeah in general it's mm-hmm. like if you're saying somebody is a certain way and then just you know personally as well like when i was a child i grew up and um like mm-hmm. the teachers would tell my parents for example is like he's smart but he needs to work, he doesn't like, doesn't work. But I kept hearing yeah. smart, right? Yeah. And then you hear smart. So I've really tried hard to not buy into that because it was drilled into me as mm-hmm. a child. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not smart. I'm somebody who's just what you're saying, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. And that curiosity breeds learning and that learning mm-hmm. breeds knowledge and that knowledge breeds more and more and more. Mm-hmm. But I have to remind myself of that because um, for like, you know, I still work with it on a day-to-day basis, which is if I'm getting challenged on something that I might know or don't know, it's it there's a moment where it just feels very defensive mm. like i feel very defensive mm. but actually then because i'm so in tune with that now i can go oh i get what's going on and then i <laughs> yeah. become a lot more curious with that yeah. so the fact that i had that labeling as a child yeah. has, it has impacted me 20 30 years later mm-hmm. so um mm-hmm. i feel like and then it can get even worse than that because everybody's like you you get told you're a smart kid, what's wrong yep. with that It's like well actually mm-hmm. there's there's lots longer with that, and people like uh, Carol Dweck have pointed that out mm-hmm. with they uh, work with mindset. mindset yeah and um and yeah, mm-hmm. so I think um. I think that whole labeling aspect is uh, is, is a big one. It
1: is, yeah. You mentioned two things. The first that I, I enjoyed is that you said little human beings, and that yeah. stood out to me because I think we need to remind ourselves that they are people like us. Yes, they're yes. not lesser than. They're not. No. I would if somebody would call me a brat, <laughs> I would have a reaction to it. I'd probably <laughs> I don't I don't know what. How much? <laughs> yeah, you know, like how if somebody said something negative about me.
0: Um, yes, as an adult, know. I mean, that
1: sucks. Who are you? Why, why are you saying that? But now yeah. you're, saying that you're a little human being. And, and, that leads me to my second part is, is that inner voice, that inner dialogue that we have. Um, Mm. I read a book uh, by Ethan Cross called Chatter. Mm. And it just blew me away because his research, by the way, Ethan Cross, you can go on Google Scholar and, and just like binge. Like I, some people Netflix binge. I like Google Scholar binge. I love it. But back to the nerd, Cindy. (laughs) Nourishing for the soul. Ah. But it's, um, his research has to do with inner voice and inner dialogue. And, and introspection and, and how his book talks about like that could be a negative thing. So if you think of a professional athlete, for example, you know, they could have trained for years and years. And then there's that one moment where there's that that you can make it or break it right at that one moment. And what kicks in? It's not your physical um, um ability because you've trained for it. You're ready. Mm. It's that mental part of it. And that mental mm. part is the chatter. It's your, how are you speaking to yourself? Are you saying, all right, Cindy, you've got this, you know, like just kick that ball mm. into the net. Or are you saying like, remember last time when you, you missed it, you're going to miss it again. Right. So that <laughs> sort of inner, that chatter, which he calls it is is amazing because when I had a conversation with him for my podcast and he spoke about, um, a parenting and that dialogue that you spoke of as a as a child being your smart labels or anything that it is that becomes our inner voice so you as a parent if your voice if you're externalizing all these sort of labels and these names and this negativity around your child this is what I had experienced too and then you're sitting at an exam as a teen or later on in in, in school and you're like oh, I, I I'm I, I don't study enough I'm not good enough I'm not I try, yeah, you know. My parents say I try, but I, I, I'm never at the grades that they want me to be. That becomes mm. your inner voice, and it follows you as you get older. So that's another part of parenting, you know, for yourself because you have your own inner voice to, to work with and to to work on. But be careful of what you say out loud in front of your child because you become their inner voice. Um, mm. So it's really important
2: that we think about that. Mm. Cindy, I was going to ask. Um, Say you as a parent, you know, you're, you're very supportive of your child and, and you know, when they, when they are having a hard time. So I'll give you an example. My son, he's 11, and he gets very, um, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do anything. And that negative chatter doesn't come from me. Mm-hmm. It comes from the social setting within school. Oh, yeah, school that's another one. With yes, his yeah. teachers. Because I'm because, – yeah. and then, it, and then I, it's almost like my job – not my job, but my, my role is then that I have to kind of sit down and go, okay, let's dissect this and is that what you think? Like, you know that I don't think that and you know that I think, you know, you've done all this stuff and, we, and that makes him feel better. But then he goes back to school and then it becomes negative. Yeah. So how can a parent deal with it like that? Because he gets a lot of negative chatter yeah. from external environments, yeah. not from me. I'm yeah. a single mother, but from... I, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So. There
1: is, especially when they get older. I, yeah, mm. I'm glad that you brought that up because, and there's social media too, that can become your inner child. Oh, yeah, I know. That's another. Okay, so I'm not talking from, now I'm talking from what I learned from this book <laughs> because it was just so amazing. Great. Um, he, he has 26 different strategies that we could learn, all evidence-based, that we can apply. And um, one of them was like putting yourself in the future. So like if at that moment you think that failing this or will make a big difference or impact you in your life, for example, if you just take yourself and place yourself two weeks down the line or a year down and realize that this moment doesn't impact your entire life, that was one of them. Um, yeah, there are so many, but that's there. I, I really encourage like that book and, and, and looking into it because I find that regardless of being a parent or a teen, for example, you can start applying that right away. Because like you said, there's there's so much that it feeds into our inner voice and our chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one with a young kid that I used to do with, I used to work privately with kids and play. We forget about play and the impact that it has on a child. And when you mm-hmm. think of sports, um, thinking back to sports, so at 11 years old, you could be playing a board game or you can be playing a sport with your child. And if you're attuned and you really look at moments as teaching moments, when they are successful at something, you can use those moments to boost their motivation and to boost their confidence and bring that back in when you're doing homework with them and say, remember when you did that, remember how you didn't want to give up or you, I created a challenge for you, a physical challenge, and and you were able to push through and do it. You can do the same thing with your brain. You know, you could, Mm -hmm. you could teach your brain certain things. So with young kids, I would, I would say that play, um, whether it's free play or board games or, or sports and, mm-hmm. and risky play too, feeds into that inner dialogue too, and that confidence and mm-hmm. resilience. And then as they get older, there's there are the, that, book, there's that book that really helps them.
0: Yeah,
2: right. I'd Thank you. It. That's great.
0: Yeah, I call it, um, I use that with clients as well, because like, you know, they'll be really doubtful about the journey because like mostly I deal with people with lower back pain. So there's a lot of complications that come with that in terms of, especially how they feel about it and then on their journey out of it. And yeah, um, and then so, you know, when they experience a little spot of pain, I talk about the body of evidence. Is like, it, it's like, that's, that's a really good phrase. Actually, one of my clients said that, and I said, you know, I'm gonna steal that. It's gonna become part of my program. And he <laughs> says, you've just, me, you've just given me a body of evidence for yeah. you know, why me having a little flare up isn't my life. You know? yeah, so you've, yeah, ta- you've, you've taught me how to see all the good stuff I've done up to this point, everything that's doing better. So is this representative of who you are now? Is I like, actually, no. And then mm. pain, pain symptoms actually start to do like mm. immediately start to feel a lot better as well. So there's mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it than in that sense in the physical side of things. So yeah, I think like body of evidence is like mm. for your own kid is like build it up. It's like okay, well, what? Um, mm. Tell me, tell me about the opposite. You know, tell me yeah. about the other side of things. Where does that come into it? And um, and so we definitely wanted to speak to you about play and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then like play uh, play fighting as well was another one because mm. there's a lot of um, let's say, I wouldn't even necessarily call it controversy, but I think there's, again, misconceptions might be the right word about the usefulness of uh, play and um, and actually being aggressive in that play yeah. as well. Because yeah. one thing that it makes me think about is, uh, well, it literally happened to me on my way back uh, back home today where I was walking along the river, I'm 10 minutes from home, and it's, it's a really nice day here today in London. And uh, there was a parent, probably I think the kid was about three or four years old, must have been throwing a tantrum. And the parent's just like literally leaning over him right in his ear and just saying, you need to stop this, you need to behave, etc." basically they just got on their last tether right Mm. and um, with that with that kid and I just walking past and I could just see the way it was like to me it just didn't sit well you know had that interaction it doesn't sit well with me because one of the things that you've been really good at pointing out is tantrums are completely normal uh, for children right it's supposed to happen uh, especially between the ages of two and four and um, and then you know, Drew, we brought it up last week as well. The work of um, a researcher called Richard Tremblay, who's um, he's he's I think he's from Quebec as well, and um, he's been researching it for a decade, basically child um, child development, but specializing in aggression, and mm. is basically saying that actually the most aggressive phase of a, of a person' whole lifespan is when they're two years old, yeah. and it usually gets <laughs> wow. social yeah. basically socialized by the age of four. If it's not mm-hmm. socialized oh, out wow. of them, then you get problems with juvenile delinquency and problems with um, regulating emotions and uh, uh, and physical aggression and stuff when you're older. So it's it's a real period where you actually have to understand that that aggression is normal, that level of um, um, maybe like not even interacting with other children is actually normal, that gets socialized as well. And, um, and understanding, um like I can't remember the bit where I was going with this as well but basically yeah and understanding yeah, play and and um and in play fighting within that yeah. context as well yeah. like what what can you what can you tell us about the uh essentially the role that playing and play f- and even play fighting has yeah. in terms of a child's not just motor development but social development as well because especially in this era of you know a pandemic era yeah. where people are wondering is like, actually so how do I be social with my kids how do I train them to be social in this mm-hmm. environment um so yeah, you know, yeah. whatever your thoughts would be on that
1: play is one of my favorite topics because I think no. we underestimate the power of play and we underestimate how much development occurs because of play in our child's life yes. um play has greatly decreased and and the amount of play that children have in their, their lives um, I think from the 70s um obviously screen time had an impact on that, but just in general, I think parents and as a society, we tend to place a lot more emphasis now on academic skills and, and yes. making sure that our mm-hmm. kids know how to read and how to write and know their colors and know their numbers. And when, as a neuroscientist, scientist, you know, parents will often come up to me to say, to ask me, you know, how do I make sure my child is smart? And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, that's, that's, yeah, <laughs> my answer to that is play. play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they, they think that, there's you're wasting time playing even here in Quebec we had uh we launched a preschool program i think it was about 2 years now 2 years ago or 3 years ago and it's play based and there was backlash from from parents because my wow. child is leaving ch- childcare or daycare to start school the preschool programs were within elementary schools and parents just expected that this meant that their children would learn how to read earlier and learn how to write and they were disappointed that mm. it was just about playing so just as a as a history of play but um you know free play is the type of play that is the best for development and what is free play it's basically i don't know how you guys grew up but i would like be thrown outside by my grandmother yeah in, in, a, in a good way but it was like go outside yeah. it's it's you know you yeah. woke up you had your breakfast yeah. goodbye and i'll see yeah. you at lunchtime. time <laughs> which yeah. now that I think back was brilliant yeah. <laughs> but as a parent but you know so my grandmother would um You know, just give me items like a bowl and a spoon. And sometimes I would put water with soap in it and just wash random socks and face (laughs) cloths. And and then sometimes that bowl would become uh, something I'd go explore her backyard with and take soil and leaves and rocks and stir it up. And it was some sort of mud pie. Um, And I I, I have such fond memories of that. And I, I think back to my kids now and the, the, the play that they have. And I try to mimic that as much as possible. So when parents ask me, you know, uh, I, I saw these really good activities that are teaching kids how to read early and write. And my, my, my response to that is just go in your kitchen, Get a bowl, get a spoon, get a whisk, uh, get anything that you have that you don't use anymore that's plastic, because they'll break it probably. But um, but then then either go outside or inside, or give them rice yeah. in their bowl and give yeah. them an ice cube tray, something random um, mm. for babies. It doesn't matter if your child is eight months old or your child is three years old. I give them the same objects, <laughs> bowl and a spoon. Yeah. You know, and it's not that they only play yeah. with that, but there's so much power in that. And, and what happens is that imaginative player or that pretend play starts to develop around the age of 18 months. Um, mm-hmm. So if we look at that, those years, you know, what if we're giving our children um, things that they have to press buttons for uh, that make certain sounds and mm-hmm. sing certain songs, it's not that there's something completely wrong with that, but where are we giving them opportunities to create their own world? Are we giving them opportunities for them to lead play and to tell us what they want to do and what's in their mind. And, and mm. are we putting a little baby doll or mm. some sort of stuffed animal? Are we, you know, that's what I do with my kids. I minimize the area as much as I can. And obviously, some, there's some days where they want to play with every toy and we put it all there and it's a disaster. Yeah. But besides that, on average, I compare it to like going to a restaurant and you have a menu and you're so excited to go to that restaurant and you're hungry and you're, you're really feeling it that night. And then you open the menu and they have 10,000 items, uh, 10,000 10, different things you could choose from. Yeah. And you're like, well, hold on. Do I want Mexican? No. Do I want Italian? You also have Greek? Like, well, I don't know. Like, what do I want? <laughs> I was hungry and now I'm not hungry anymore. So it's, it's, I, 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 I apply that to, to toys in a child's environment. It's like, Sure put all the balls and the and the trucks and the figurines and the legos and you have everything and they might want to play because intrinsically that's what they do and then you put them in this environment mm. with everything and it's like mm, I'm just going to dump the bins and I'm not going to play with mm. it cuz I don't know what I want to play with anymore so yeah, we need to approach it from a minimalist perspective you know and mm. put a, a baby doll uh, maybe a little bowl and a spoon and and they're going to pretend they're feeding it or put a couple animal figurines you know from the farm and and put little Ice cube trays and um, maybe a little bit of rice, and they're gonna pretend they're feeding it, or what? What they decide what they want to do with it, you know? Or mm-hmm. um, one little stethoscope and, and and a doll or some animals, and they're a veterinarian or they're a doctor. They'll figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. But having the right items in their environment and and not too much will will go towards that kind of play, that free play that lets them lead. And there are four categories of free play. There's um, object play. And I think parents underestimate a baby who's just mouthing something and looking at it. And they're like, they're not Mm. doing what they should be doing with that object. Mm. And my response to that is it is it's free play. They're, they're seeing, what does it feel like? What does it taste like? Babies, um, learn through their senses, so they're going to squeeze it. They're going to throw it. They're going to roll it. They're going to bounce it. They're going to throw it at your walls that you just painted, or. <laughs> but that's how they're discovering the toy, and that's how they're literally learning. And their brain is registering all of that and saying, "Oh, this is a ball, and it rolls." Okay, let me see. Oh, there's something round at the end of the on the floor there in the living room. Let me go get that. And they take yeah. it and they throw it. It rolls the same way that the other ball rolled, and then all those neuronal connections are happening. Um, So it's that kind of play at a young age that kind of builds up into, like, their cognitive development, their social-emotional skills. Um, So talking about those four aspects of free play. So there's object play, then there's pretend play or social play. And you can do that on your own or with somebody else. There's Mm -hmm. outdoor play, just being outside and playing with sticks and rocks and whatever you find leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the fourth one is going back to what you you spoke about, which is the the risky play, the, the physical play. Uh, just having um, a, a pillow fight with your young child, you know, obviously obviously not throwing them across the room, but, but being, them that there's a good risk to um, kind of like pushing each other a little bit and being careful, obviously, as much as you can with young kids. And I'm saying, you know what? No, hold on. I'm saying that because I get backlash when I talk about risky play. So that was my brain mm-hmm. protecting myself. So let me, let me go back and say, no, have fun. Mm. <laughs> you, yes. and, and it's, you know, that, that was my subconscious coming up because I, I, when I do get backlash, um, when I talk about risky play or I show a picture of a child, uh, you know, walking up a banister, climbing it, at, because they say, you know, like, I don't want my child in the hospital. And you're, you're, you're pushing that kind of play that could mm-hmm. end up an in injury. Mm-hmm. So yes, I am. I am pushing risky play, but it's because there's so much to be learned in risky play, and and yeah. so my my advice. So that's the neuroscientist hat. Now I'm gonna put on my mom hat. I hate yeah. risky play. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I feel that. I'm I'm naturally anxious. I I don't like it. I I turn my head when they do certain things, and my husband <laughs> has them up, throws them up in the sky. But they need it so badly. They so yeah. I have to work on myself. <laughs> To allow them to mm. do the risky play because I know that through development they're going to learn how to push their boundaries. They're going to learn uh, even play fighting between each other. My my son, my middle child just turned four, and my daughter's about to turn six, and they started play fighting, and it's kind of funny because they're so tiny and they're just like ah, pushing <laughs> each other and, laughing. and and I have to step back sometimes on the couch, and I'm like somebody will fall off that couch and and gonna <laughs> smash their no. head. On the floor. But I try to put like little pillows on the floor or a blanket, and um, but I, I try so hard to let them do it because what's happening through that play fighting? They are learning negotiation skills, right? Like stop putting your finger up my nose, okay? But can I put it in your ear? <laughs> 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 Whatever it is, um, they yeah. are they are learning boundaries, like ba- body boundaries. You know, if if don't I don't like it when you push me this way or don't don't touch me there, and they're gonna vo- verbalize that. Um, they're learning to build uh, they're learning social emotional skills last time when I smacked you across the face you didn't like it and you cried this time I won't do that but I might give you a a push you know like or I might take your foot and try to put it in your ear whatever they do I don't know they're able to to bend certain ways but you know they're they're learning a lot in that moment and I as long as they're being respectful there are boundaries so you know you guys could play fight but if somebody says stop or don't do that, you know, you stop. And we have like a a, a safe word <laughs> just because sometimes you're giggling and you don't know. But because sometimes one's laughing and then I'm not, sh- the, the safe word is for me. <laughs> Again, going back to my anxiety, but, you know. Because sometimes they're tickling each other. And I'm not sure if if it's a giggle that's like you're in pain or a giggle that you want them to stop. So if you say like banana, like everything stops. <laughs> but So just to say, you know, that that sort of kind of the rough and tumble play, that's part of development. It's part of play. And it's a kind of play that leads to cognitive skills and, and social emotional skills. And as they get older, um, I had a parent who told me that, their children will start that kind of play but then it always ends up being somebody crying somebody's mm. upset and and my response to that is then you know which which skills you need to work on with your children if mm. you know mm. figure it out journal about it and and observe and if one child is not listening to the other person's boundaries is not listening to them saying stop I don't like this then they need to learn to respect that part of another person because one day they'll be out in school or you won't be there in front of them and they might be play fighting with a friend uh, a little boy or a little girl or whoever it is and they might not listen to their body boundaries they might not listen to what makes them safe and feel comfortable so do it in your home when you can because then they'll be away from you and you won't have a say and that's another reason why it's important Um, but beyond that with my children, I have a step stool, and when they were before the age of one, I would put that little step stool on top of um, like a cushion, like a, a mat on the floor, and they would just mm-hmm. climb it. Babies want to climb that age group of one to one and a half, uh, or even before one, but they're they're learning, they've learned how to crawl and move, and the more, there, there are studies that show that there's a link between movement and, and learning how to develop and de- developing those skills and cognitive ability. Because what happens when I'm crawling around? Well, now I'm not stuck in that same corner of the living room. I came mm. to see you in the kitchen and wait a second, I've never been in the kitchen. What is this cupboard? It's a fridge. What is that thing? It's loud. It makes noise. Let me see what it feels like. Let me touch it. A cupboard? Let me open it. Oh my gosh, there's a whole new world in this cupboard. Let us empty it out. I'm gonna take every single container and throw it on the floor. I'm gonna take the pasta bag, the bag of pasta that's half empty that you forgot to put a clip on, and I'm gonna dump (laughs) it on the floor. And and there's a lot of learning happening in those moments. Mm -hmm. The child is touching, is is emptying. They're learning um the consequence of something. They're learning, you know, so the more they move around and the more we allow them to move around and not contain them to a certain space but create a safe environment obviously you know when i talk about risky play it's not about learning that if you go down if you walk towards the staircase and fall down the stairs that that oh well you'll learn next that you know (laughs) that's not what i'm saying when i talk about risky play and i want to make it clear Hmm. it's it's about creating certain environments and certain opportunities for your child um because that will help them with their development so, yeah, See, I mm-hmm. get a little bit passionate when I talk about play. No, right. <laughs> it, yeah. it, there's right. so much learning to be done and parents Huge. not understanding that that could be more important than learning how to read early. You know, that just let mm-hmm. your child play, put them outside. And if you don't have outdoors, some parents, you know, might just have a little balcony because they live in a condo. I, I lived mm-hmm. in apartment building um, for the first year and a half of my daughter's life. And I had a container. I don't know if I have it no, I don't, it's outside. Um, I have just a regular bin, a storage bin, and we would play mm. with water. We would, you know, I would put animal figurines inside with oatmeal, dried oats or rice or whatever it was. Um, but just making sure that you create that environment and then you step back and let them lead. That's the best mm. thing we could do. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: that like it, that physical exploration is just so, so important is uh, mm. like, I, cause, um, in our interaction when we were setting up this podcast I was saying like, like we're super curious because partly because the way we uh, train our clients is based on neurodevelopmental mm-hmm. principles as well so mm-hmm. I have this extreme curiosity when I see a child doing a certain level of movement and uh, I'm just like <laughs> I watch them I go that's my next workout
2: <laughs>
0: you know yeah, you go, yeah, it. true. yeah so it's because uh, yeah. they're just so creative with the way that they're moving yes. and yeah. um, and it's, it's just so interesting to see but um, I mean if like there were several things that came up when you were talking about that for me, and one of them is um, like if we want a concrete example of how play affects like affects the brain, is I'm reading Stuart Brown's book. and partway part way through that. The play, how it invigorates the brain, invigorates the soul. I can't remember the full title, but uh, the yeah, book I'm play. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I'll I'll tell you about <laughs> it afterwards. Thanks. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, but they, yeah but there's a there's a part in it where he's talking about the research that's been done especially on other mammals where you know mm-hmm. the the cerebellum which is uh, essentially for for movement at least mm-hmm. it's uh, the center of coordination so it's imperative to help coordinate movement but then we know now it's also imperative in terms of like coordinating emotions and things like that mm-hmm. as well so mm-hmm. w- when you're moving and you're physically moving through your environment and exploring it um, this mm-hmm. the cerebellum grows especially in those uh, most plastic mm-hmm. times of the, times of development i.e. when you're a child and uh, but then if that movement is taken away the cerebellum shrinks so mm-hmm. it just it just basically, yeah. or rather it doesn't grow like it's supposed to. And yeah. so that's not just important for physical development, but because of the other, um, because of uh, what it's involved in across uh, different aspects of basically being a human being, social yeah. development, emotional development, yeah. um, there's that mental dexterity that comes with that uh, yeah. too. So if you're taking away play, you're basically taking away your child's ability to develop good cognition, uh, mm-hmm. good uh, good social skills, and good, um, um, uh, like, good a good ba- brain development yeah. overall as well and yeah. then I think like the other thing that made me think of was um, the role that fathers have to play here as mm-hmm. well because mm-hmm. I think uh, on average there's a natural inclination yes. and I've seen it as well <laughs> with people where the mother is definitely like I don't want yeah. you to do any yeah. risky play but the dads yeah. are like hey I'm just gonna yeah. grab them and throw them around and like exactly. I'm gonna let them have a little fist fight because you know I'm here to yes. make sure everything's okay and um, and that's uh, and that's so valuable. So there has to be like that cooperation between um, uh, the both parents to understand that okay, I don't like this so much, so I'm going to let you deal with this part, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of be okay with letting it happen. Yeah. And um, so yeah, again, just there's 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 the other way that the you know the father is uh, is imperative. You exactly. know, he doesn't have to feel alienated. It's yeah. like you have a role to play, especially further yeah. down the line through the development, and yeah. then. Um, and then the other thing is, is like, um, so for like Jude and I, we both do wrestling and jujitsu, and oh, cool. uh, doing it as doing it as an adult is just one of those things where it's helped me confront a lot of things about myself so I really love doing it for that and also like it's there's, there's good personal development in there as well and my um, one of my friends likes to call it like you know is like uh, the perfect like uh, the, the, the most obvious training ground for learning life lessons and it's mm. basically it's, it's adult physical rough mm. and tumble right but uh, Very much. but yeah. yeah exactly it's like you know we just throw at each other around I just say it's like Jude I'm like Come at me! I want you to get, get me, you know. But this is um, so nice be doing this. yeah, exactly. This. For sure, happen, I would highly, yeah. completely, honestly. It's um, I would yeah, as as a parent as well. Yeah. You'll start to really then understand the value of rough and tumble play as a for for children too. The other aspect I look at it is is um, you mentioned it as well. But it's rules of engagement is what I call it. It's like you really learn about rules of engagement with um, with other people, and it's not just in that physical realm, but it's also gets taken into you know. As an adult, like learning okay. how to negotiate, is what you were saying. Mm-hmm. And um, but the other thing, which I think is key, and uh, people overlook it because um, it seems like a you know it it's, it seems like a touch subject. But I think it's comfort v- with violence. I think that's an important thing because it's 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 one thing to like. It's one thing to kind of uh, you know it just kind of gets beaten out of children like early on. It's like you know using a violent phrase yeah, yeah. to talk about getting yeah. comfortable with violence, yeah. but um, <laughs> it gets it gets pushed out of them, and um, mm-hmm. and so there is that lack of connection with the part of themselves which is actually um, is actually necessary for future development as well. It's like integrating the sides of you which you know like uh, you know could be violent with learning how to essentially the parts of you which you know how to control that. Because when you have that, I think there's there's a certain level of confidence that comes with that that mm-hmm. isn't really Able to be developed in, in any in any other ways, uh, not that I've at least experienced, and so I think that's an important aspect of it as well because it might happen at some stage. You know, it's yep. like we're we're human beings; we're going to f- face aggression at some level at mm-hmm. some point, mm-hmm. and so knowing that we're okay under those circumstances, especially through practice of martial arts, mm-hmm. um, is I think is is huge, and it's a great and it's, th- uh, it's a great thing to introduce at a young age if uh, if if yeah hopefully your kid's receptive to that
1: mm-hmm. no i agree with you and you know there's there's a it's it comes back to boundaries too you can have play fights and, and create those mm-hmm. boundaries and there's a there's that line right between being slapped in the face and being slapped in the face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a difference you know so if they're they're playing and it's like a gentle push and there's okay. you know but then if there there's anger that and, and it comes back to also emotion regulation so if one child did something to the other, and now all of a sudden I'm angry. That that push or shove or slap will be very different than before when I wasn't angry, um, yeah. and that falls into emotion regulation skills. Like, can I back out of the situation right now? And right, even going back to the parent that said it always ended up in a fight, but can I back away and say like, I didn't like that, or you you upset me right now? I need to walk away because I'm angry. There, that's part of not only emotion regulation, but Um, executive function skills being able to control yourself and to say like this isn't right or I didn't like that or Mm -hmm. or do you just get upset and then push and Mm -hmm. hurt you you fall into wanting to hurt that child so everything that you're saying it applies to very young children who are play fighting because there might be a point where it becomes aggressive and then it's you as a parent it's it's our role to say okay this isn't working out very well What's happening? You know, is it the emotion regulation mm-hmm. part? Is it, mm. um, is, is our, you know w- what's going on at that moment? And wh- where's the teaching moment? It's not just about discipline. Mm. Uh, yes. d- discipline is teaching. So where mm. is that moment that I need to discipline them and, and show them what's right and wrong? Um, and if we don't have those opportunities, then again there'll be teens somewhere else, and some sort of situation might happen, and we didn't build those skills before. So we we yeah. need to work on
2: that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, Jude, there's like, there's one thing that you're wondering about, which was um, kids in the pandemic era, and you're noticing, yes. yeah. at least anecdotally, their regression that is, yeah. that is going yeah. on.
2: Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, Cindy, so I've, my son's school age, um, I've heard of a lot of parents uh, telling me that their children mm-hmm. Have been really struggling with things like OCD, anxiety, yeah. potentially pushing into depression, yeah. and maybe in older children actually going into things like anorexia, yeah. um, just things like that. It's, it's all just kind of maintaining control within a situation that they can't control. And I think the schools, yeah. even though at first it was like wash your hands, wash your hands, it's almost like that's pushed certainly a few children that I know into OCD tendencies. Yeah. And I just wondered if you can give some advice on how we can help them recover because I feel like we're not out of it yet in terms of the pandemic and and I feel like our children are still struggling especially school-aged children for sure I think yes, when they're below five it's it's probably okay because they're within that environment anyway the family yep. environment is, is everything but as they go into school and I think it's just pushed a lot of children into huge not huge entails, but mental health territory and I just wondered if, if you had any advice that yeah, yeah, how to help them? I wish, I wish I
1: had advice. Mm. I, it's, it's. I literally had this conversation with somebody who works in a school in a in a high school. Um, I spoke mm. with her last week, um, because my when all this started, my guess was that it was going to impact teens and and, and preteens, but that age the most because you're being isolated and you're stuck in the social media world, number mm. number one. And yeah. also that's when mental health issues come up the most, even before the pandemic. Mm. Um, I forget the percentage. I think it's like 75% of mental health um, or mental illnesses will start mm. to show during teenage years. Um, but it, it was a percentage that was very high. And it's, well, so now we're adding this to it. We're adding, we're adding isolation, which on its own, does not help mental mental health and, and now we're adding that you know that fear of having to you know protect yourself and protect your family and and mm. i i and and she agreed so same thing so she works in a high school and higher levels of anxiety this year um some te- some students received letters from doctors that couldn't so saying that they couldn't go into the school anymore because the school itself was creating anxiety, right? Being around people oh, wow. and having to wear a mask wow. and being afraid. Yeah. Um, there were higher levels of depression, higher levels of anxiety, more suicide attempts. Unfortunately, it was just, mm-hmm. she said, the year was very rough. Um, mm. I don't know, coming from a mental health background, you know, for me, it was just about, like, understanding the cognitive implications of it and the, the emotional mm-hmm. implications um cognitively when you're you that happens like your cognition is affected like i said at the beginning you know like that's why i was intrigued by students i don't know how this could end to be honest i i Mm -hmm. i wish we we could have this conversation with like scientists who are looking at it right now i'd love Mm -hmm. to know what studies they're doing and because sometimes also in science we we point the problems we point out the problems but we don't give solutions um and I don't know, you know, besides creating more groups online or support through governments and, and, and help and communities, I don't know how that's mm-hmm. going to end because those O C D tendencies or that fear and anxiety. I don't don't know how it can go away because now Mm -hmm. it's there. And besides talking to your child, you know, there are ways to deal with anxiety and, and that therapists will work through um, cognitive behavioral training. So kind of reintegrating the child slowly back. But it's not something that we can do on their own. So the lists of seeing therapists will increase, you know, they'll, they'll get bigger. It's, it's going to be a hard journey. I think the, the, fixing all of this is especially for those teens it's going, it's going to be a hard journey um, and my mm-hmm. heart truly goes out to not only the children but the parents too because now this is is something that you'll be working on for years ahead of you but it's not that and i don't mean to be so pessimistic about this topic but oh, right. yeah it, there's, there's no it's 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 done it's happened and now you know like this person i was speaking to she mentioned also kids who would use school as an outlet from leaving a home that was either violent or aggressive or not a good environment for them and one one child told her you know i would go off we had um we had a curfew here in montreal from january may. all the way until may i think they mm-hmm. so we weren't allowed to leave our house past 8 p.m. at night um and there are su- there are huge consequences to that so this one child this teenager said my parents would fight all night. So I would leave and go for a walk and I was stuck in there the whole time. And now she's struggling mentally, you know? So, and, and not to say the parents who either didn't have work or were working from home or the stress of being home with your kids and spouse and dealing with all of this Mm. brought that onto our kids. Right. So now our kids couldn't leave the environment. They're stuck there. They're not, they're afraid of going to school. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a mess, but we'll clean it up slowly, you know, um, bit by bit it's always in small goals so I think first waiting for this to be over and then reintegrating yeah. them into an environment where it's okay if you don't wash your hands you know that's what they do with anxiety too it's it's reintegration into whatever that fear is that you have so they'll definitely be applying more of that and then I hope this um, you know by, by community Am I still there? Oh, it froze. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. yeah I, there was nobody left. I thought I was alone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I hope I hope that there will be systems and, and um yeah. you know, like community programs put in place with this in mind because we need to work on them first, the teens, mm. because you know, if we ignore them, then it's just gonna get
0: worse. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah, yeah that was really helpful. Yeah.
0: yeah. Building a right future always starts with the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you just got to get that right. Um, tell us uh, tell us about Curious Neuron and uh, the kind of programs you offer and who who exactly sure. it's for.
1: Yeah. So Curious Neuron is for parents uh, and caregivers. And I have some clients who are early childhood educators. Um, and basically, like I said, this all started as a hobby. So I was, it was just a blog. But now the more I listened to parents, I realized, okay, it's not. I have some programs where I work directly with a parent and I create like a, a play schedule so I think about your child's development and I teach parents how to play I literally have clients where it's like okay take everything out of your environment let's let's you know create a play space that is conducive to to learning and development and let's look at what phase your child is in I'll, I'll give them activities so I have like private programs it's not just like a one-off consultation I have those mm-hmm. for quick questions but Uh, I I like developing these programs or I have a parenting program, uh, a tantrum program and uh, a play program. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice because, you know, originally going into this, uh, I would just do like a one-off consultation. But then I realized that there's a bigger picture. If I tell you, um, do this with your child for tantrums it's not going to help because it's a bigger picture it's how are you responding to your child it's yeah. mm-hmm. you know so it's learning about parenting it's it's, it's a big thing so I, I i realized i needed to create like a six-month program where i work directly with parents mm-hmm. and
2: mm-hmm.
1: um then my favorite one is the better me better parent challenge because i call it the challenge because it, it's kind of like you have to give yourself that challenge to work on it um but it's an ebook on my website so if you visit curious com. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the podcast, we have a podcast, Um, we have the blog, I have social media, I'm mostly on Instagram at curious underscore neuron. Um, But then you can click on services and I try to create services that meet different parents' needs because because I know as a parent, sometimes you, you don't want to listen to a course, you just want to read something whenever you have a moment, or you just want to listen to somebody. Um, so when I work with clients, one of the questions I have is, how do you learn best? You know, Do you want to read something? Do you want to listen to audio clips or watch a course? And then I create material for them according to how they, they want to learn best and, and what works for their parenting schedule um so there's the, there's the, the those and there's the parenting course there's pdfs i have um, something called meltdown mountain because sometimes a child needs a visual um so it's like mm-hmm. a mountain that the child could say like okay i, I my, i'm not feeling myself i'm feeling that i'm getting a bit sad or angry where am mm-hmm. i on the mountain now mm-hmm. let me apply the tools um, and i keep trying to create that i'm working on a few programs now and, and trying to create resources for parents you know overall my goal with curious Neuron is. There's a lot of outdated stuff, and there's there are so many um, opinion-based, you know, parenting platforms. I want to create that one platform where a parent could log on and say, you know, is this normal in my child? Should I see a doctor? Um, what what should i do when it comes to play and and then have not just like summer like a summary of it but here's the article that that shows why we propose this advice or here here's the research and here's uh, i'm working now with labs and scientists so that i can take the information that they're putting out there fresh and then put it onto my platform because I, I just that's my goal i just want to continue taking the science and sharing it with parents in different ways that they can learn from it and, and apply it in their lives
0: so yeah, great. 100%. Thank you. Yeah, it's so, it's so valuable. It's just um, the oh, amount of learning. Like like I said, it's just shedding light on a well-kept secret for me.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> Not a secret anymore, right? So now, now yeah. you the work.
0: <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, you know, some of the stuff that you share and, like, uh, some other uh, other ones as well, um, mm. I just look at it I go, yeah, maybe my friends don't know about this. I should probably send that over to them, you know? Actually, yeah, because like, yeah, because like one of my friends was just really like worried about what to do with her daughter's development, especially approaching two years of age at the time. And, um, and just like you know curious like you know do i get them to play like this or to play like that and it was just like okay well here's some resources actually go go check it out and i think uh, i think you'll you'll learn you'll learn from that um mm-hmm. so yeah it's 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 super helpful especially because um i don't know maybe you can you can shed light on this but one of the things i get is what i one of the things at least i understand is the probably the, one of the emotions that you probably feel the most is doubtful yeah. as a parent, right? yeah. It's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I doubt yeah. everything what I've done, whether yes. it's a good thing, whether it's yeah. a bad thing. And then you're constantly in that cycle. So yeah. there's yeah. a way to kind of help remove that doubt as yeah. well as um, provide that education. And I think a big thing is, is, like one of the things you're talking about is a big thing for you is to like help everybody understand that loads of people go through this. So, right. you know, you're not, you're not alone right. in this, but right. also that it is quite normal. So you don't have to judge yourself or judge your kids for it as well. For example, that tantrum phase, they're hitting their kids. It's like, no, your child's not bad. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. now, you know, this is where your skills as a parent come into it. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, I think it's it's super valuable for everybody to understand that. Um, yeah, that is just you're not in it alone. It's very normal for you to feel like the way that you're feeling, and um, but it's all part and parcel of exactly. like, you know, this this journey of of raising, like we said, exactly. tiny humans.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I love that the word curiosity came up. And maybe to to finish off the the mm. reason why I called it Curious Neuron um, is because we're born curious. We're curious about everything mm. around us yeah. and. I was trying to create a name for a company that or my blog at that point that that m- merged learning and and development and i kept thinking like what and then i realized like our brain is naturally curious and you know my own way of of living life is curiosity and and then when you're curious and you're learning you're building those neuronal connections you're, you're building those new connections so that's why I decided to call it Curious Neuron. And, and right. I, I still, I'm, I'm happy I did it. I, I still stand by that, you know, like, yes. it's right. like you said, it's that curiosity. And, and we need to be mm-hmm. curious as parents, curious about ourselves and our children. And, and when we let that lead the way and compassion, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. We'll make mistakes. We'll make big mistakes and maybe mm-hmm. one day my kids will see a therapist and talk about me and, and <laughs> I'm okay with that, you know, like it's part of parenting. Love but yeah you know, <laughs> and even as 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 the founder of Cures Neuron, I'm saying that because I will do my best, but if I'm mm-hmm. hard on myself the entire way, it won't be a fun journey. I just mm-hmm. need to do my best and be confident in that.
0: Yes. Thank you. That's Thanks a beautiful place to live. Yeah, That's thank awesome. you very much. Thanks thank so much you. for joining us. We really appreciate me. you You uh, crossing time zones and, and joining us. I love us. it. No, I,
2: I, want every,
1: I, I want to chat with you every weekend. <laughs> this is kind of Yeah, great. yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll do, do that.
1: that. <laughs>
0: Yay! Yeah. Yeah we helped you out is uh, great it's, it worked both ways so well, that's fantastic look so ladies and gentlemen everybody listening just uh, tell us what you think of the episode we hope you really enjoyed it um, get in touch with us on Instagram at evolve, achieve, thrive, um, or reply to our mail shot that we send out to everybody who's on our mailing list for the podcast and tell us what you thought of the episode and um, you can find Cindy on curiousneuron.com uh, curious underscore neuron on uh, uh, Instagram and uh, we'll put all the Uh, Put all the resources on in the show notes as well. But thanks for tuning in. Tell us what you think of it. If you really enjoy the episode, please just chime in and on uh, Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. We'd uh, we'd love to know what you think there as well. So thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.
2: Thank you.